Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark and team. <clears throat> and uh, Jansen, in a couple of weeks, is actually going to be going off to uh, Europe to study uh, piano for several years. So whether he did a good, or, uh, good job or not with the prayer, we're going to be uh, missing him for the next time. So I think I'm stuck here. Oh, well. Um, as we're in worship today, and I'm just going to share what the Lord laid upon my heart, Isaiah 16.3 speaks about God making beauty from ashes. There were two songs, actually, that we sang this morning that spoke about ashes. Um, the thing that's uh, required in order for ashes to be produced is fire. We don't like the fire, and we don't like that the fire has to actually consume what it needs to consume in order for ashes, in fact, to be produced. And way too often, I think, that we try to play firefighter and put out the fires in our lives that God wants that in our lives to be completely consumed so that he can, in fact, make beauty from ashes. It has absolutely nothing to do with my message this morning. But since the Lord laid it upon my heart, I really pray that there's somebody here who needed to hear that very message. So on. So a uh, first grade teacher decided to ask her class to uh, complete the end of these common sayings. Um, And I'll give you an example. She would say, strike while the, and you would say, iron is hot. Okay, well here are the answers that her first grade class gave To these. So, strike while the bug is close. (laughs) It's always darkest before daylight savings time. Never underestimate the power of termites. (laughs) Don't put, I like this one, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. Especially in today's society, no news is impossible. (laughs) A miss is as good as a mister. And you can't teach an old dog math. (laughs) Uh, If you lie down with the dogs, you'll stink in the morning. (laughs) An idle mind is the best way to relax. Where there's smoke, there's pollution. I like that one as well. Yeah. A penny saved is not much. (laughs) Two's company, but three's the musketeers. (laughs) Don't put off, I like this one. Don't put off till tomorrow what you put on to go to bed. (laughs) Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you have to blow your nose. If at first you don't succeed, get new batteries. I like this one. You get, uh, you get out of something only what you see in the picture on the box. When the blind leads the blind, get out of the way. <laughs> and finally, a bird in the hand is going to poop on you. <laughs> Oh, I love laughter. Now that that is out of the way, 
Next week, uh, Frank, on kickoff Sunday, is going to begin our new series in the book of Proverbs. And he has stated, and I agree, that, you know, of the 66 books of the Bible, Proverbs is where we really go to seek wisdom. And it seems uh, all too often that wisdom is completely lacking in our time. So I thought before we go into Proverbs to seek wisdom, perhaps this morning we could spend a few minutes trying to understand what wisdom is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you drew each one here this very morning. And Father, it was not easy to get out of bed and come here on a cold and rainy morning. But Father, you had a purpose in each one of us being here this morning. Father, perhaps it was the touch of a friend, the hug of greeting. Maybe it was prayer or something that was spoken. Father, I know through our time of worship that when we look upon your face and we sing praises to you, that you rain down your presence upon us. And we so desperately need that as well. And so I just ask, Father, that this time where we come into your word, Lord, would be a time where, Lord, your very heart would be shown to us. Father, we have a subject here to talk about wisdom and foolishness. And Lord, I just ask that this message be spoken to my heart first. Father, when a message is given and it does not go through the heart of the one who is sharing that message, Lord, then the message is devoid of real meaning and purpose. So Father, I just ask that I would be poured out upon this congregation, like a drink offering. I do not wish, Father, for me to be a part of any of this. Father, may you be greater and I be lesser. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And Lord, may my words be your words, for we need your wisdom. I have none. It is only through you that we are wise in any way. And so, Lord, I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what is wisdom? It's certainly one of those words that conjures up many answers to many different people. The dictionary is always a good place to go to look for the definition of a word, and it's a little bit confusing even going there. Dictionary defines it in many different ways. One way is having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Another one is application of common sense. Now, here's the definition that the, uh, um, that the dictionary gave that I thought was most helpful. Wisdom is the quality of being wise. <laughs> Thanks. The truth is that wisdom is a word that requires a bit more of a discussion for many reasons, some of which we'll discuss today. Even though we find it difficult to define it, we all want it. We often say that we're seeking wisdom, and yet so rarely do we find it. I think we often take wisdom, even that word, for granted. And in doing so, we will be proven unwise. Wisdom is a value that we have sought, and there have even been magazines named for it. Skip, can you put that up? Hmm. Known as the Magazine of Knowledge and Education, this magazine was published in the 50s and had cover stories on people like Albert Einstein, Winston Churchill, 
Pablo Picasso, Dr. Jonas Salk, and Abraham Lincoln. They even featured Jesus once as one of their subjects. And yet I wonder if their understanding of wisdom is what the Bible refers to as wisdom. Is it truly a matter of knowledge and education? I often find in my studies that in order to really understand a word, it's helpful to look at the antonym or the opposite of that word. And I would think that you would agree with me that one of the antonyms of wisdom would be foolish. Unfortunately, the Bible gives us a great example of a fool. Skip, can you put up Luke 12? Then he, that's Jesus, told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store up all of my wheat and other goods. Now, I know what you're thinking. That is, that there's a part here that's missing. And I agree, there is. We'll get to that. But at this particular moment, I want you to suspend your understanding of how this parable ends. The question is, what do we know about this man thus far? He's rich. Exactly. We don't have to surmise that at all. Jesus tells us that straight up. You can also figure that his wealth comes from the land that he owns. So he's a successful businessman. He has great understanding of agriculture as his crops yield abundantly year after year. By all accounts, this guy is a success. So wouldn't we say that in some ways this guy has exhibited wisdom in how he has handled his land? So the question is, who at this point doesn't want to be this guy? Be honest with yourself. Who doesn't want to be successful in our chosen field? Who wouldn't want to grow from humble beginnings to be a raging success? Skip, can you put up the picture? Does anybody know what this is? A house, yeah. But it's not the house that's important. Thanks, Frank. There's wisdom right there. That's why I pay him the big bucks. That's right. Well, this isn't just any house, although it seems like it, but it's not the house that's special so much as it is the garage. Can anybody tell me what may have happened in that garage? No, not Microsoft. Close. On April 1st, 1976, the Apple Computer Company was founded in that garage by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and a guy named Robert Wayne. So a little side note about Robert Wayne here. Has anybody ever heard of his name? Most of us have not. And the reason why is that on that beginning, uh, Ronald Wayne was given 10% of Apple stock in order that he provide what was known as adult supervision to the two much younger Steves. In late 1976, having been fed up with dealing with Steve Jobs, he sold those shares for $800. Yeah, well, if he had actually held on to those shares today, they'd be worth approximately $85 billion. Yeah, Apple was certainly started in this garage, but not too many years later, they figuratively tore down their barns to build bigger ones. Skip, can you put it up? 
Yeah. This is certainly a beautiful building housing thousands of employees. But interestingly enough, these barns weren't big enough either. And in 2013, they began work on a $5 billion building. That is billion with a B. Skip, can you put up that picture? Yeah. It's 2.8 million square feet and includes fitness centers, auditoriums, an orchard, and a cafe that seats 3,000 people. Now, this building was the last act of Steve Jobs, the visionary founder of Apple. By every, by every measure in America, he was a success. He was rich beyond our wildest dreams. He produced products that the masses desired and were willing not only to spend their money buying, but they actually seemed to worship his products and in many ways worship the man himself. His business was such a success that his barns were full and there apparently wasn't enough room to house all of his products, all of his stuff in those barns. And so here they go and build this $5 billion building. Now you may say that $5 billion is a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. All right, we'll just agree that it's a lot of money. But considering that Apple is now sitting on cash reserves of $256 billion, it doesn't seem like it's a very big percentage. And that's $256 billion. Now, to put that in context, the U.S. government currently has $162 billion in cash. Apple has more cash than the U.S. government. That's scary. And all of this was really the vision of one man, Steve Jobs. Was he wise? Like the rich landowner, he was rich, he was successful. He clearly had a knowledge and understanding of not only business, but technology and consumer goods. Like the rich landowner, who here wouldn't want to be him? So it begs a question, is the accumulation of possessions ungodly? Now, to answer that question, we're going to look at one of my favorite people in the Bible, and that's Joseph. In Genesis chapter 41, we see Joseph coming before Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man on the planet at the time. He was summoned from prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Now, this dream was basically about a fat cow and a skinny cow, and it's in the Hebrew. Trust me, it's there. So here's Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. In Genesis 41, skip. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land, but afterward there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt, and famine will destroy the land. Hmm. But Joseph gives him some advice. And Skip, he put up his advice in verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. 
Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Hmm. If we continue reading in Genesis 41, we get to chapter uh, 38. And Pharaoh does this. So So Pharaoh... Uh, asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, that being Joseph, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my courts and all my people will take order from you. Hmm. So what does Joseph do now with this newfound power and the recognition of his wisdom. If we continue on in chapter 41, we find the answer. As predicted for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the city. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Hmm. So what is the difference between Joseph and the rich landowner? Can we agree that we have two successful people who are good at what they do and whose barns are in fact full? Well, as Frank likes to say, context, context, context. So let us go back and take a look at the full parable in Luke 12. Skip, can you put it up? Then he, again, that's Jesus, told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you have worked for? What was the rich landowner's purpose? What was he working towards? He wanted to retire. He wanted to be able to sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. He was looking for a life of leisure. But we in America would certainly say he deserved it, wouldn't we? He had worked hard. Shouldn't shouldn't he be able to enjoy the fruits of his success? Isn't that really the whole point of laboring in a career? Isn't the goal to retire with enough money to take it easy? Well, I have a saying that I've come to find is true in the vast majority of the time. After spending some time as a paramedic, and I went into financial services for a while. Sold insurance, did investments, and helped people plan financially. The saying that I've come to is this. Money is a multiplier. Now, what I mean by that is money, the addition to or subtraction from is a multiplier of who somebody truly is. If you truly want to understand somebody and their motivations, 
then see how they respond when the literal chips are down. Or for that matter, up. A kind and generous person who has a little will be kind and generous with a lot. A jerk with a lot will be a jerk with a little. And here's a key one. If you're anxious with a little, the plenty will make you no less anxious. In fact, it will multiply your anxiety. It is a multiplier. Skip, can you put up the picture? This is my Aunt Bet and Uncle Mort. Now, my Aunt Bet and my Uncle Mort were the kind of family that you choose. They weren't blood relatives, but they're ones that you called Aunt and Uncle because you would rather have them most of the time than your real family. (laughs) That was the case with them. My Uncle Mort and my grandfather, who was Papa Ed, were childhood best friends. They went off to serve in the war together and stationed in England during World War II, where my Uncle Mort met Bat, who was a British nurse. And they fell in love and got married and came back here after the war. Now, my Aunt Bat and my Uncle Mort were always the most loving, kind, generous people. They're also incredibly, um, I'd say, humble in the way in which they lived. They were not flashy by any stretch of the imagination, which was very much the opposite of my grandparents. And so when my grandmother developed lung cancer, not a surprise to anybody who knew her, she was a lifelong smoker, but somehow figured that, oh, she caught cancer when she went on a trip to the Far East. Complete denial. But when she developed lung cancer, my Aunt Bet and my Uncle Mort were really the rock of our family. And were always there to comfort us and to love on us. And my grandmother went through treatment after treatment and uh, radiation and chemotherapy. And there was an experimental surgery that was going to be done in California. At the time, they had retired to Florida. Now, they retired into a little apartment that was just a few miles from my grandparents' house. They lived in a, in a golf community, and they lived in a little apartment close. My Aunt Bat had worked for uh, a bank as a secretary to the president of the bank, and she would get his hand-me-down cars to drive as a perk of the job. Well, when she retired, they actually gave her the car that she was driving, which was really great. It was really a blessing to them because they didn't have much, except for the fact that the bank turned out to be a bank that was caught up in the savings and loan scandal, and the government came and took her car from her. Yeah, pretty devastating. Despite that, when my grandmother went out to California, they scrounged up enough money to go to California to be with my grandparents during this time and be there for her during the surgery. Well, while they were in California and they were spending time with my grandparents, they went to a little deli for lunch. At that deli, they bought a ticket to the California lottery. 
the next day the drawing was done and they won $9.6 million. Yeah, pretty crazy. But here's the really amazing thing about Aunt Bet and Uncle Mort. The money didn't change them. Right? When they got back to Florida, my Aunt Bet, who didn't have a car, they went out and got a car. She got a Pontiac because she liked the color. (laughs) They continued to live in that apartment for a number of years before they got a fairly modest house down in Florida, which is where they stayed until their passing. They were loving and they were kind and they were generous before and they were loving and they were kind and they were generous after. Money wasn't what drove them. I love them and I miss them deeply and unfortunately they passed before I came to know the Lord. I didn't get a chance to share Christ with them. But money was not their driver. On the other hand, working in financial services, I met others for whom money was in fact the driver. Because I had worked as a flight paramedic for Albany Med, I had a great relationship with the medical college there. And so I was able to go and do financial counseling with the medical students and with the residents. During this time, these students and residents were recognizing the changing face of medicine and the mounting cost of medical school, and they were sitting looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And so they started to talk to me about making decisions about what field of medicine that they were going to go in based upon how much money they could make I find that so incredibly sad. So many years of education, so much effort in training, and yet the decision that they would make as to what they were going to do for a 30-plus year career was based upon how much money they could make. And then what did it all lead to? They'd make more money so they could have more stuff, so they could retire and sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. Even sadder to me were those like state workers, police, or people who work for large corporations who have pensions who were able to tell me down to the day when they were eligible to retire. And they say it with such disdain for what they're doing. What is their purpose in getting up each morning? Is it just to fill barns so at some later date you can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry? Let me tell you, if you are miserable now, you're going to be miserable then. And here's the kicker. You're going to be all alone. And you being miserable has nothing to do with your job. That's a whole other message for a whole other day, but let me continue. (laughs) I want to tell you what the difference between the rich landowner and Joseph is. The rich landowner was thinking about temporal things. He was seeking his own way. He was seeking his success. Joseph, on the other hand, was a man who was heavenly focused. God gave him a vision of what he had planned for Joseph. And Joseph went all in with God's plan. 
I would encourage you to read about the life of Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37, goes right through the end of the book of Genesis. It is a wonderful story. Joseph was faithful to the vision that God had given him. Interestingly enough, the rich landowner, I believe, was also faithful to the vision that he had. He did, in fact, accomplish that which he had set out to do. Unfortunately, though, the rich landowner missed what God had for him. And worldly success is not a measure of wisdom. To the contrary, Jesus calls him a fool. So my question is, why is he foolish? Is it truly that he just had earthly success? Is it because he was going to die before the buildings had been complete and there's nobody to take over for him? What's great about this parable that Jesus explains it so well in the following passages, and this is found in Luke. I'm going to continue in verse 21. This is after Jesus said, you are a fool. You will die this very night. Then he Then who will get everything you worked for? Jesus continues, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, yet God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So a person is a fool who stores up treasures on earth, but doesn't have a rich relationship with God. So are you a fool? Do you pursue things of this world to provide for your own needs and desires? Are you worried about this or that, focusing on the wouldas and couldas and shouldas of life? Do you look around and thirst for the things that your neighbor or some person on TV tells you that you need to have? Where are you storing up your treasures? 
The rich young ruler was a fool because he had stored his treasures in barns. Where's your treasure this morning? The only way that it can be in heaven is if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to open the heavenly bank account with Jesus and Jesus alone in order to make your deposit there. He is the owner of the bank. And unlike earthly banks, he doesn't run on banker's hours. He's open 24-7. And guess what? He doesn't need FDIC insurance. He tells us that our treasures will be safe with him. But in order to make that deposit and be protected by the bank of Jesus, you need to know him as we read in Psalm 100. Skip. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Acknowledge him. Know that he is God, that he has made us and that we are his. We are the sheep of his pastures. See, we can't know God until we know that we are his. This psalm tells us that we are his sheep. If I wanted to be a sheep herder or have a sheep farm, then I would have to buy sheep. My sheep would be bought for a price that I could tag them as mine. If I leave the gate open, the neighbors would know that they are mine because they are tagged with my name. So I ask you this morning, have you been tagged with the name of Jesus? The Bible from Genesis to Revelation tells us that God wants us to be in relationship with him. And as we prepare our hearts to go through Proverbs, please remember what Jesus is telling us in the parable. The fool is the one who stores up treasures on earth, seeking his own way, while the wise seek the face of the living God. So again, my question this morning, are you wise or are you a fool? Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us words that challenge us, that convict us. And in doing so, Lord, your desire is not that we would feel bad about ourselves, but your desire is that we would change and be transformed into your likeness. And you want us changed and transformed into your likeness because we will stand with a living hope against a world that is desperate, against a world that is seeking their own and desiring to fill their own barns. Lord, I just ask that the words that were shared here from your word, Lord, that they would just penetrate our hearts That, Father, we would truly desire 
to store up our treasures in heaven. We do not want to be foolish. Lord, I don't believe that there is anybody who came here this morning whose desire was to be a fool. And so, Lord, I just ask that everything that separates us from you, everything that that we do to seek and attempt to do on our own, Lord, I just ask that that would be shown to us that it may be cut away. And so, Lord, I just thank you. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.